Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. And then if you have it and you would be so kind as to join me in standing for the reading of Psalm 121, and then uh, we can pray together and we can take our seats. We've been in, in the Psalms for the past three years. And so um, I'm just going to invite you to jump on to a moving vehicle, but I promise I'm going to slow down. And so you'll be able to hop on uh, and Lord willing, we will uh, pick up what the Lord has for us in Psalm 121. So let, let's do a reading of it. A Psalm of Ascents, Psalm 121 verse 1. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God, we can take our seats. Father, in the name of your Son, we, we just want to continue our worship to you. And we want to continue to see the supreme worth of your Son. And Lord, you know our weak frame. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us and to testify of Christ. So, Father, since it has pleased you that by the reading and teaching of the word, you would sanctify your people, that we would grow in holiness, we just ask for the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching. We ask for the gift of being able to hear and understand. Oh, Father, if you would grant us these things, and I know that you will, our allegiance and our love to you and for you and for your son will deepen and you will be magnified through a people who adores you and surrenders all things. So please hear this. I am weak and I need your help. I confess that I will not do it justice, but your word is inerrant and infallible. And I ask that you would grant us understanding of it. I ask, Father, in the name of your glorious Son, my Lord, our High Priest, in Jesus' name, amen. I remember um, when I was a kid, we were going to take this long trip to California. It was the first one. I've never been on such a long trip from Chicago. And um, before we left, my dad gathered the family, and uh, we prayed. You know, he said, come over here, son, grabbed a my brother and I and my mom, and he prayed, and he started to pray for protection, for God's kindness uh, to be able to get to our destination. Uh, He made it a custom to constantly do this every time we were going to take a journey. I think um, uh, one of my most memorable times of gathering for journeys was when I was 18. I had joined the Army, and uh, we got orders to deploy to Iraq. And I didn't tell my father... I was scared, but um, I think he knew it. I think he knew it. I think he could sense it by my silence. And 
once again, uh, as I flew for a week back home, he again gathered me and he said, son, let's pray. And we prayed and we prayed for God's mercy and protection uh, to return home. Um, he, he, I think what was occurring here is something that Christians do. They, they recognize their weak and frail state and their complete need for a sovereign God to protect them and to be with them, to help them get to where they need to get. Uh, this is one of those uh, prayers, Psalm 121. It, it's, it's what is known as a pilgrim psalm on a journey on the way to Jerusalem. And that's what this psalm is about. It's a, it's a gathering, uh, most likely a family, a father who was to take at least three journeys throughout the year to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to worship Yahweh, to wait for the Messiah, uh, would sing this and pray this before he would get there or on his way back. And what they're asking for is for the sovereign God to protect them on their journey. That, that really is going to be the point of this psalm, and it's not uh, difficult to see. So I'm going to invite you to look at that really quick. There's at least two ways that this author makes known his point, and we can't miss it. The first one is the author intentionally repeats one word. It's the Hebrew word shamar, which is translated keep or watch, most likely in our Bibles. He repeats it six times. I want you to kind of observe the text with me. Start with verse 1 and start picking them up together. Uh, we see it. Can you find it there in verse 3? That's probably the first time he uses it. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps, it's the Hebrew verb shamar, will not slumber. Notice the repetition in verse 4. Behold, pay attention. Look at this. He who keeps Israel. And then we go to verse 5. And it says, the Lord, in all caps, a reference to the divine name, Yahweh. The Lord is your keeper. And he repeats it again in verse 5. The Lord is your shade in your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And here it comes, verse 7. Uh, the Lord will keep you from all evil. It almost sounds like he's really trying to prove a point here. And he is not at all uh, embarrassed to repeat his sermon point. And he will do it again in verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. So six times intentionally the author tells us what he's talking about. Yahweh's keeping, guarding. Shamar means that. It's often if we were to do a study of the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, that that's what it means. It's often used of a guard guarding something with a special care and diligent attention. And, and that is what the Lord is being highlighted as doing for his people. There's another way to look at the main point. Um, if we were to put on Hebrew glasses, you know, just put them on for now. All of a sudden you look at the text, it's all in Hebrew. Well, this line, uh, every poetic line, there's a middle line. And that middle line in Hebrew poetry is verse 5. And that serves as almost the chorus. It's the main point. And he's going to give us the sermon title, or if you will, the chorus of this song and hymn. And here, here it is again, verse 5. Here's the line. He's right in the center. Yahweh is your keeper. That's, that's what this psalm is about. It's, 
It's the sovereign guardian of his people. That's, that's what he wants us to keep in mind and focus. And he's, he's going to do it several ways. But before we go into this text, if you would just allow me to ask you to jump onto that moving vehicle, because we've been here for three years in, our, in the church, and there's a lot of things that I wish I could summarize that have been said in the past three years, which time will not allow. But if you will, and if you would give me that time just to share a few things, kind of like setting up the stage or some background information that will help us understand the text just a little bit better. Uh, there's about 15 Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Uh, Psalm of Ascent is that verse zero, and it means gradual ascending. The Hebrew word literally means taking steps, and it's the idea of going, uh, and they're looking uh, literally up to the hills, and up there is Mount Zion. That's where they're going. They're up on the journey, and they're ascending gradually. Um, uh, they're pilgrim psalms, hymns sung on the way to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, from the three feasts that they would go to worship Yahweh congregationally. The men were commanded to do so, and many times they would bring their families, cost investment, uh, saving up. Uh, it's, it's not a, uh, a task that is done unplanned. And, and that's definitely what they would sing. These are those songs they would sing. There's another thing that I want us to look at before we go right into the text. There's, uh, there's hills mentioned. And the only reason I want to bring this up is because in verse 1, those hills, they've been a little bit of a debate. If you, know, if you read this text, people want to know what is he looking at. Uh, the author is going to tell us in the Psalms of Ascent. So what it, why is he looking up at the hills? That's the debate question. Is he, is he looking at them because in Israel's history, uh, people would use them, the mountains, to worship idols, kind of take shortcuts. They don't want to go all the way to Israel, cost too much money. I'll just build my own little altar, right? Take a shortcut, perhaps. I don't think that's the case, though. I think if we read the rest of the Psalms of Ascent, he tells us what he's looking at. So if, if you're looking at Psalm 121, just briefly glance at Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2. Another psalm, a pilgrim psalm, and he's going to tell us what he's looking at as far as those hills. It says, those who trust in the Lord, verse 1 of Psalm 125, are like Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. That is the city of the great king. Hold on to that. Okay? Which cannot be moved but abides forever. And listen to here because we're going to see the same Hebrew word as the mountains. Same Hebrew word as we read in Psalm 121. Or the hills surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. All that to say is, let's leave that debate alone. He's looking at Mount Zion. That's what he's looking at. Uh, they're on their way to worship Yahweh. That's what's occurring in this text. It's another thing. This one is extremely important. It's one that I've repeated frequently throughout these three years. And I know I won't do it justice, but I ask of you that if you leave with one thing, it's found in this. Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the place where they're going, is the city of the great king. We were to go to Jerusalem today. As we enter to Jerusalem, you are going to see it in Hebrew. Okay, The city of the great king. And naturally, you know, you speak to somebody who's there, they're going to say, oh, this is the city of King David. But if David were to tell us whose city it was, he would say, no, this is the city 
of the great king, right? I know you have been studying the book of Revelation. And what's interesting, I remember hearing one of Pastor Ben's sermons, he makes reference to Psalm 2. And he makes reference to Psalm 2 in the book of Revelation because Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It speaks of the Christ. Um, Psalm 2, 6, the Lord says this, the Father says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the keys to understanding the whole of the Psalms. It starts off in Psalm 2, displaying that there will be a Christ who will come from the lineage of David to rule forever, judge his enemies, and save his people from their sins. Uh, Psalm 2 finishes, and you don't have to turn there, but uh, it says that the son's anger is quickly kindling. And then it makes this mercy, uh, offers mercy, because the psalm says, um, blessed are all those who take refuge in the son. That, that's how you're supposed to read the rest of the psalms. Up in that mountain will come the Christ will come the restorer of all things, will come a king greater than David, because although David had the heart similar to that of God, as the scripture says, it was David who was insufficient to shepherd the people of God. We can go through the text and find out he committed adultery, the man with a heart after God. We can go through the text and see that he had Uriah killed. David is unqualified to lead the people of God. So we wait for another. And that is the Messiah that Israel is waiting for. Here's here's my point. My point is this. As they went to worship Yahweh to Mount Zion, they they went in anticipation of this coming king. The Passover, which was one of the feasts, was in anticipation of the Lamb, the Christ, who would come to die for their sins. And, and, and here, let, let's put it all to rest. If this is unconvincing to you, let me put it this way. Uh, Jesus' words, Luke 24, 44, you don't have to turn there, but you remember he resurrected, spoke to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and said that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die, and on the third day resurrect. Remember the text? Well, listen to what he says to these disciples. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Uh, The Psalms are Christ-centered, every one of them will find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The, The Psalms, all 150 of them are like arrows, all pointing to that mountain and the Messiah who would rule sovereignly, Psalm 2, the Messiah who would die for the sins of his people and resurrect in Psalm 16, the Messiah who would be suffering for his people as a substitutionary sacrifice in Psalm 22, it's all pointing to him. And we must understand the text in light of that. Um, These pilgrim psalms are worshipers, Old Testament believers, anticipating the Messiah. One more thing as we enter the text. These pilgrim psalms are a picture of our pilgrimage. 
these pilgrim psalms are a picture of our pilgrimage. Philippians 3.20, just listen with me. The Apostle Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.10, speaking of Abraham, think about this, speaking of Abraham, says, He was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Speaking of all the Old Testament believers of the faith, Hebrews 11, listen to what he says. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What homeland? The author of Hebrews says, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And then it finishes, God, he has prepared for them a city. This is uh, our context, waiting for, yes, you have been reading in Revelation, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 3, 12 through 13, the Lord in his kindness allowed me to share this with you the last time I was here. And he speaks to the church of Philadelphia and listen to what he says. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. We too are waiting and going on a pilgrimage for the new city, new Jerusalem, where the king will reign forever. Very much so, we are very much like Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress on our way to the celestial city. I think John Bunyan had it Accurately, that is the Christian life defined. But with this in mind, there are dangers on the way to the city. There's temptations on the way to the city. There's cold nights in the desert. There is the blazing rays of the sun. There are thieves and robbers waiting to hurt us along the way to our journey. There's a temptation to stop and not continue on with our destination. There are dangerous temptations on the way in this pilgrimage. And this psalm here is coming to remind us of who our God is, who is promising, yes, the text is, that we will arrive to our destination. The point of the text, as we already saw, is to remind God's people who have trusted in God's Messiah that they have sovereign protection on their pilgrimage. Now, with that in mind, uh, the text begins with a bit of a catechism, a biblical question that can only be answered by biblical answers in the text. And here is the catechism. I lift my eyes to the hills. I'm on my way to the journey. From where does my help come from? How am I going to get there? There's from the trials, temptations, and the, the th- challenges on the way there. He answers the catechism question, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, the maker of heaven and earth. The rest of the text, and that's what we will be looking at today, will speak of our sovereign guardian to encourage us on our pilgrimage. And if you are at all marking your Bibles or taking notes, here is the first 
encouragement. He's going to give us theology proper. Who is our God? That's the way he encourages his people. Uh, if you want to be encouraged today, it's not going to be by looking at a pastor. It's not going to be by looking anywhere else. It's not going to be by looking at credit cards. It's not going to be by trying to wish it away. It's going to be by beholding your God. That is the only way that we will be strengthened in our faith and continue firm until the end. And that is what this text is going to do. This is God-centered, the psalm, pointing us to God that we may be strengthened by beholding our God. And here it is. He wants the people who are on pilgrimage to look at their guardian who is the maker of heaven and earth. There it is. That's what he says. The maker of heaven and earth. That's the answer there. And what does that mean? What does he want us to look at when we see the maker of heaven and earth? It's used several times, this phrase, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. It's used in Psalm 124.8, calling his people to trust him. And when he says to trust them, it's interesting, he calls them to trust, and he says again the phrase, the maker of heaven and earth. In Psalm 134.3, again, we see this phrase, the maker of heaven and earth, and this time it's a call to worship him. And the way of provoking this loyalty and worship and affections and emotion, mind, and will devoted to him, again, is by reminding them he's the maker of heavens and the earth. What does that mean? Uh, you and I will remember if we start going backwards in the Old Testament where we first hear that Yahweh is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you want to know who that creator is, it's Yahweh, the great I am. The makers of the heaven and the earth. It's a statement of absolute power. Absolute rightful authority dominion, and sovereignty. It, it speaks of his jurisdiction. And, and his jurisdiction extends everywhere you can behold your eyes. This is a sovereignty claim. If I may quote the great Hebrew scholars, Kiel and Diltzik, they say the following in reference to the phrase maker of heaven and earth. It is the maker of heaven and earth from him who sits enthroned behind and upon those mountains who is the helper and reaches to whose authority reaches to the remotest ends and corners of all his creation this is a sovereignty claim the world lies in his hands in other words the person who's in charge of your pilgrimage is completely in charge of everything that happens in that pilgrimage. Now, the sovereignty of God over everything is an obstacle to the unbelieving world, right? I mean, think about it. Something happens, you go to the doctor and you find out that you have something terminal. God being sovereign over it? How could you? Accusations rise against the sovereignty of God. How could you do this? And 9-11, God, where were you? It is normal for unbelievers to look at the sovereignty of God with accusations and lack of trust, but that is not the case with believers. To comfort a believer, you want to comfort a believer in their suffering, in their trial? Remind them that God is sovereign over all. The God who is sovereign over creating all things seen and unseen to display the supreme worth of His Son 
to die on the cross for his people, for his sins, for his glory alone. The God who has demonstrated love in his son sovereignly in this way. It's the God who is in charge of everything that occurs in your life on this pilgrimage, whatever it may be. If I can borrow the words of Charles Spurgeon, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving him perfect peace. So this is the theology proper that the psalmist gives us. On your pilgrimage, whatever occurs, whatever occurs in the pilgrimage, God is sovereign over it. And his people said, thank you. His people said, thank you that it is you who are in charge of every step that I take. Secondly, uh, we see a transition after he says he's the maker of heavens and the earth. Acknowledging the sovereignty of God. And if you're taking any notes with me on your Bible, there's something else that the author wants us to know about our keeper, our guardian, those who are in Messiah. The Lord who doesn't slumber is the guardian of his people. He begins to use military images. Let's read that text together. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Make note of that phrase because he will repeat it intentionally again. Behold, look at this. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I think the, the, it's clear what he's trying to tell us. Your guardian doesn't fall asleep. That, that, that's, that's what he's presenting before us. And he starts to use military language. Um, verse 3, for example. Look at the text. He will not let your foot be moved. Speaks of stability. It's language and imagery used of, uh, of soldiers in battle who can't afford to slip. Everything is shaking. There's war. To slip could cause a life and death situation. And while everything is shifting and moving and there's swords being thrown all around, his foot is held stable. That's the idea. He's keeping them firm. It's Hebrew idiom, an idiom for stability and security in the midst of trial and dangers. And then he brings more of this military language. In verses 3 and 4, he speaks uh, most likely of a guardian soldier, perhaps even a guardian shepherd keeping watch over sheep. But more than likely, it speaks of a soldier keeping watch over the camp in the city uh, with fellow Israelites and battle companions, which he must keep watch of and warn about for enemies coming. And it's being attributed, this, this metaphor and this language, to, to how God is. This reminds me of, of a time in, in basic training. They, they had a, a specific exercise. And the point of the exercise was to stress the importance of being vigilant in a battle zone. Can't fall asleep. That, that's the point. So how, how are they going to prepare us for this? Uh, this is the way they did it. The sleep deprivation kept us for days awake. Um, and then in one particular night, they would assign what we call a battle buddy. And, and the way that this would work, this, this battle buddy, is that you would dig a foxhole and you would hold your rifle and, and you would take turns keeping watch. Uh, you would sleep for a while, and while you slept, your, your battle buddy would be vigilant, keeping watch for enemies. And then when the time finally came for you to rest, you'd wake up your battle buddy or, or vice versa, and you'd switch. 
well, I had a battle buddy. I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to speak ill of him but in that way. But I was the first one to do watch. And there I was, keeping watch in the darkness of the forest. And I said, well, go to sleep. And I, I was so tired. I so desperately wanted to sleep. My eyes kept on shutting down. They felt so heavy. But when it was finally my time to switch, I, with great joy, woke up my battle and said, please, it's your turn. And he got his rifle, and we switched uh, positions. All of a sudden, while I'm sleeping, I feel air and a loud noise. It's my drill sergeant. He slaps his hand in my face. He says, Perez, you're dead. And I look over in shock as to why I was dead. My battle buddy was sound. And woke up startled to see uh, this loud noise. And he says to him, um, I want you to take a pen and a pad. And he says, I want you to write to uh, Perez's wife and explain to Perez's wife why he's not going to make it home. Here, here's the point. Vigilance is extremely important. Here's another point. We're not great at it. All of us fall asleep. And it doesn't matter how strong we think we are. If you're six, seven, 300 pounds, you're never weaker than when you are asleep. As one theologian said, it's almost as if God did that intentionally to remind us of our weak state. Every night, we need help. We need someone who keeps guard all the time. And there's a good answer in the text here. It's Yahweh. It's the creator of all things who neither sleeps nor slumber. No sleeping marks Israel's garden, says Dr. Leslie C. Allen. The Lord who doesn't slumber is the guardian of his people. May this comfort you. You can rest in him. That's what that means. You can go to sleep knowing that God is keeping watch over his people. Thirdly, we get some more theology proper in verses 5 through 6 as the author makes a transition. The Lord, who is a loyal, faithful, the ideas of stability with, with, with no moving, again, protecting shelter uh, for his people. Verse 5, very briefly, remember, is the chorus of the psalm. So again, he, he, it's almost like he enters into chorus. This is the chorus of the hymn, and he repeats it again. Um, the Lord is your keeper. And, and then he again continues to have us behold our God, and he will use protecting shelter images. And uh, not only protecting shelter images, but there's an idea of fidelity, faithfulness, of, of, of being continuous, of being uh, always there. And, and, and we see this in verse 5. When it says that the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Shade at your right hand has at least two understandings. Here, here's the first one. Um, shade at your right hand was used in the ancient world with, for covenants. It, it was language of ancient agreement and loyalty to those agreements. It has the imagery or, or the understanding that one can't abandon with one shadow. And so God will not abandon uh, the, the agreement he has made with the people he has made. He is loyal to it. So that's one understanding of, of this. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And, and here's the second one, which is very similar to the first. 
It also has the imagery of a strong tower creating a shadow of protection. The protection is found in that strong tower or of an eagle or a hen whose who's, uh, little baby hens are, are in need of protection and the mother just extends uh, her arms creating a shadow and, 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 and the babies just come underneath it finding full security and care knowing I'm, I'm going to be all right. It has those understandings. In both images, the ideas of protecting shelter and it's the idea of constant and loyal protecting shelter. And the psalmist says that's, that, that is the type of protection God is providing for his people. For those who are placing trust in Messiah on their pilgrimage, they can find confidence in knowing that their God is loyal to his word. They can find confidence in that he is capable of keeping them. Verse 6 we get this image again of consistency, stability, and faithfulness. The imagery of, of shelter continues. Um, verse 6 is a Hebrew way of saying uh, from morning to night, all, all, all the time, all, all the time, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Some people have debated a little bit about that moon by night, debating that it's some sort of moonstruck ancient idea. I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, there seems to be some Hebrew merism. It's a Hebrew way of saying, you know, when you say ladies and gentlemen, it means everything, everyone covered. Lady, uh, it means from beginning to end, all in between. This is the understanding here. From morning till night is 24-7. All the time vigilant. From the dangers and the severe threats of the blazing sun to the great threats and fears of cold night. Faithfulness and loyalty and loving care is, is what is being brought to his people in this text. You know, in following the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself in the New Testament, when he wants to comfort and encourage his church during tough times, during suffering or during temptations, he says this exactly. He says, I have loyal love and care for you. Let, let me just give you an example of it. Matthew 28, 20, you don't have to turn there, but you'll remember the great commission. He has risen from the grave. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is sovereign over all things, Jesus our Lord. And he commands them to go preach of the kingdom in, to, to every nation, into hostile lands. And, and we remember that in the Gospels, he's already told them that many of them are going to die in doing so. So as they go and you read the book of Acts, there is persecution in those hostile lands. You need to comfort them, Lord. Your resurrection is comfort for them, but you need to encourage them, Lord. And here it is. You remember, as he commands them to go and preach the gospel, teach them to obey everything that I commanded you, he finishes with, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of age. That's the way he comforts them. I'm with you. I am your shelter as you go. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Exhorting the church to faithful following and trusting the Messiah in the midst of persecutions, rejections, and temptations. He says to them, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. To know who it is that's defending you will bring you great comfort. To know that it's Jesus who prays and intercedes for you, it doesn't matter who the enemy is. As we behold who our God is, 
all other fears go away. As we remember who we should fear and honor and reverent awe, everything else starts to go away. And that is what the point of this text seems to be. He's leading us to the one who is faithful. He is, he is leading us to, to the one who is your shade at your right hand, the one who, who will not allow the sun to strike you by day nor the moon by night. He's saying, behold, the God who cares for you who will be with you every step of the way through every trial and tribulation that may arise. The Lord who is stable, protecting shelter is the guardian of his people, and this will bring great comfort on the pilgrimage. Uh, finally, as the author finishes in Psalm 127, uh, he says something quite interesting. Uh, he starts to take this sovereign protection straight into eternity. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Keep you from all evil. The, the Hebrew word for evil, ra, can be translated evil. But it also can uh, speak of um, harm, trouble, calamity. And I think that's the understanding here. Uh, one Hebrew translator uh, translates the following. Yahweh will guard you from all danger. That's the understanding. He's going to keep you and preserve you in whatever trial and affliction that may come. Now, before we, we think that this means that the, the pilgrim doesn't go through trials, I don't think that's what the text is teaching here. I, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he needs shade from the sun, right? Uh, he, he needs shelter. He needs help from the cold nights. He needs a guardian. He's in a situation where things are tottering and he needs his foot to be held, right? So, so the context gives us an understanding that this surely cannot be saying you will never go through any trials. That surely is not what the text is teaching us. Uh, we spent over, over a year in Psalm 119, and, and it's interesting because as we go to those who have trusted Messiah and his word in Psalm 119, Persecution follows over and over and over again. Psalm 119 uh, verse 25 says that his soul is clinging to the dust. So surely this text doesn't mean that the believer will be free from affliction. Uh, as Spurgeon said again, our service of the Lord does not screen us from trial, but rather it secures it. So, so then what is occurring in this text? How will the Lord keep them? What is the text saying when the Lord will keep you from, from all harm? He will keep your life. I think the best way to, to think of it is that he will keep us and guard us in the same way he has kept everyone who has believed in him. So, so now all we have to do is think of them. He will keep them in the same way he kept Abel when he was murdered by his brother. And I'm certain that when we see Abel, and you can ask him, and we can ask him in that day of glory, did the Lord keep you, Abel? Was Psalm 21 true for you, Abel? And I can assure you, he will say, yes, he kept me. And we can ask Job, Job, did he keep you, Job? Did he keep you and preserve you and guard you? Did he keep you from all evil and all harm? And surely we can say, Yes, and we can go all the way to the New Testament and find Stephen. Yes, Stephen. 
and the stones being raised, and they're throwing them at, at, at Stephen. And we can ask again, Stephen, did he keep you? Did he keep you from all harm? We read the text, it says that the heavens opened, and he saw Jesus standing. The Lord kept him. I think the understanding here is the Lord will preserve you until you make it to your final destination. And I think that's the understanding because of the way the psalm finishes. The psalm literally leads us into eternity, into what we await, the new heavens and the new earth. The going out and coming in is, again, this Hebrew merism expressing totality in verse 8. It's, it's using opposites to include everything in between. It's Hebrew figure of speech for everywhere in every way. The going out and coming in is a Hebrew way of, in verse 8 of saying, from the time you begin to the time you end your journey, from the time you leave your home to the day that you reach your destination. Uh, Dr. Leslie C. Allen says, in all the depths of life, he has promised to be ever vigilant and protecting of his people. Dan Hood translated it, this verse the following way, from now until eternity. From now for all time, continuous future permanence is what is found in this text. In verse 7 and 8, the Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore is leading us past this life. Now, as I observe this text and I start to see the sovereign protection of God over his people, I am left with one question. I'm left with one question, and this is it. How did I become a partaker of eternal protection and sovereign preservation when I am an offender of God? How did this come to be? How did we come to be protected in this way? Where did, how did this care reach us? How did this promise of following us into eternity and promise to make it to the new Jerusalem become ours. The text leaves us wondering, and I think the answer is found up by those hills. I mean, think about it. Ephesians 2, describing the man apart from Christ, says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. That we were all by nature objects of wrath, sons of disobedience. That's who we were. We were rightfully and justly under the righteous wrath of the holy sovereign maker of heavens and earth. We rebelled against him. We did not deserve divine and eternal protection. We deserved eternal punishment and wrath for rebellion against the sovereign maker of all things. So how... Did we become partakers of this eternal protection? You and I both know the answer. The answer is on Mount Calvary. Can you see our protection there? Can you see it in the person of Jesus Christ? The righteous and the just Jesus of Nazareth dying in the place of his people. Can you see our sovereign protection there taking our wrath, taking our shame? Jesus satisfying completely the righteous requirements of the law, completely satisfying the wrath of God, which we deserve. There is our sovereign protection in Jesus Christ who took our punishment. That's why we look to the hills and we know where our help comes from. 
It comes from the Messiah who's coming to reign in Mount Zion. And we're so eager to meet him. I, I don't know what trials you may find yourself in. But I do know that the Lord has promised that they might come in this world and on this pilgrimage. There will be trial and tribulation. The comfort comes in beholding our God. He has overcome the world. Are you on this holy pilgrimage? If not, if you have never come to Christ, if you've never behold the beauty of the cross, today is the day to call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous and just one who died for the sins of his people. Do you need help on your pilgrimage today? I do. Let's look to the hills. Let's look to the hills where Messiah reigns. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are so easily distracted. So quickly trials come and our eyes deviate. Today, Lord, for lifting our heads to point to the Christ, I thank you. I need you. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would comfort us with the truths of Psalm 121, of your vigilant protection and your promises to take us to the city of the great king. May the truth you have given us, Lord, bear fruit worthy of repentance in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.